Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Sem Says Podcast. I am your co-host, Alex Brown. I'm Nikolai Berlinski. And today we're joined with a good friend of mine, another seminarian, Dominic Mann from the Diocese of Arlington. Dominic, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me here. Oh, it's our pleasure. Now, we invited Dominic here because Dominic has a very interesting hobby. I'm very impressed by it. Dominic, you're into poetry, right? That's right. That's awesome. Now, I'm interested in that. I'm, I'm going to come right out and say it. I like, I like poetry. I know Nikolai. Yeah. I've written some stuff, but I've never had anything like published per se. Yeah. Like, but poetry isn't really something you hear about that much. Like, I wasn't really taught about poetry in school. We covered it briefly in Britlet. Britlit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Britlet. Yeah. No one remembers Britlet, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem like something I was taught how to do. I wasn't taught the intricacies of poetry. I wasn't really... I don't know. So how how did you get into poetry? What where did this come about? Yeah, um, that's an interesting question. I definitely can relate uh, for basically my whole life until about like maybe two years ago. Um, so uh, probably similar to both of you guys, my experience of poetry prior to college was like you just memorize a bunch of lines for a poem, like a said poem right. uh, that people said was really famous mm-hmm. and was sort of like, you know, follow your basic poetry tropes, like, right. you know, A-B-A-B, whatever. The the outlaw went tonight and, you know, he was caught by the man of right or what, you know, it's like, right. uh, yeah. like <laughs> stuff like that. And then uh, you memorize it and you recite it to your mom. I was homeschooled, so I recited it to my mom mm-hmm. and my dad. Oh, um, bang, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like, that was poetry. Like, mm. my experience of that was identical to everything poetry was. You know, as I was growing up, so what was poetry then? It was just kind of like this lame sort of rote thing that you uh, always required is memorization. Right. And that's right. basically all it is. And if you can, like, write rhymes, then maybe you're a poet. So, yeah, so that's that was basically my definition of poetry and experience of poetry. So then uh, in high school, uh, so I haven't even gotten to college yet. In high school, I was, like, sort of thinking ahead to college. I was like, man, what do I want to study? Where do I want to go? In junior year, I read this great work, which to this day is maybe my favorite work of literature, period. Um, and it was The Ballad of the White Horse by G.K. Chesterton. And I know, like... Oh, yep. oh me, okay. Let, right. me, let, me just, let me just take a pause from this uh, podcast real quick and say, like, yes, I recognize that G.K. Chesterton is, you know, so used <laughs> yeah. to the point of a fault by seminarians. So oh, I, yeah. I will intentionally place them. myself in that category. That said, all right, back to the podcast. Um, <laughs> Chesterton is phenomenal, and his work is actually objectively great. Yeah, I said yeah. That subjectively, but you know, you're getting more, yeah. no argument here. <laughs> right. I was Wait, commenting the other yeah. day that if I get to heaven, God willing, and G.K. Chesterton isn't there, I'm going to doubt that I'm in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, no, that's. <laughs> I'd still want to be in heaven, <laughs> yeah. but like, I don't think he's there. <laughs> So I read The Ballad of the White Horse. It was hard to read at first, I think, because I didn't know what poetry was. Again, I, I thought that poetry was just memorizing lines that rhymed. So uh, so I read that work, and after, like, a month of laborious study, because I don't even understand what it's about, um, you know, for the longest time, I finally, like, write a paper on it, I, and it sort of clicked. Uh, and I realized, wow, this is a beautiful work. And it's beautiful in and of itself, but it also there's a beauty to the – I guess to to the poetry itself, like to the actual mode in which 
mm. what is beautiful is expressed. Um, so the meter and the rhyme and the, the rhythm of the thing. And it was actually then in my junior year of high school that I pretty much decided uh, I want to study literature when I go to mm. college. And that's what happened. So I went to Christendom and I started um, studying literature. And kind of in the back of my mind, like, I, I like G.K. Chesterton and The Battle of the White Horse. And mm. that's, you know, great. Okay, good. But as far as the rest of poetry, we don't need to worry about that. It's just G.K. Chesterton and <laughs> sure. The Battle of the White Horse. Sure. And so I was enjoying reading all these novels and, like, historical criticism. And then I get to senior year, and there's this one required class that I had to take my spring semester of senior year called Poetry and Poetics. Mm-hmm. And just to give you guys an idea, like, there were people in that class from other majors who were just taking it because this professor, like, was an easy grader. Like, it was – Yeah, like, yeah, naturally. That's, that's how much yeah. respect people had for this class. Mm. Going into it, that's how much respect I had. Mm-hmm. Now that I look back, that was one of the most formational classes I've ever taken in my life. Oh, wow. Academic setting. Um, this professor, for all the fact that he couldn't get through half of a syllabus in one semester, you know. Right. And, yeah, naturally. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, as the poetry professor would. Um, <laughs> and the and the fact that, you know, his grading style was a bit unconventional. And it was easy to sort of slide by. Regardless of all that, he did have a genius for just poetry and he really was brilliant um, regarding that and he taught it well as a subject matter but more than that when he like read a poem when we'd be going over a poem and uh, he'd have like different students in the class like read the poem Mm -hmm. and then he just you know we'd talk about it as we're taking turns reading it and then he'd say it he'd say the poem back to us and like it was something different in how he said it that we weren't expressing. Mm. And he was he was entering into all the subtleties that the words could express and the beauty of the rhythm and everything. Mm. Even in like the simplest four-line poems um, to longer, longer works. Uh, mm-hmm. It was there that the, um, yeah, my appreciation for poetry really sort of, I guess, happened. You know, like before that, it was just, I like this one work, and now right. I, I recognize poetry as like this incredible uh, genre and w- type of art in its own right. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I'd yeah. say like from from my experience, kind of similar. You grow up, you learn nursery rhymes, mm-hmm. and like that's your experience of poetry is like the itsy bitsy spider or mm-hmm. something like, <laughs> like that. Hickory dickory dock. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then you grow up a little bit, and then it becomes the memorization phase of okay, you got to memorize. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow or somebody like that, and then it's just boring. You're like, oh, this is some old guy telling some story. Or yeah, Longfellow is just the worst case. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you become an adult, you're like, wait, poetry is like actually awesome. It, it's <laughs> it's got so much there in it. You can express so much without using so many words as as mm. a person would use in prose as much. I think. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think what you're hitting on is that in poetry, what makes it poetry is the pouring in of something human into it, like particularly with rhythm. I'm thinking my favorite poem is um, The Destruction of Sennacherib by oh, uh, Tennyson. But it sounds like horses running. The Assyrian came down like a wolf on a hole, which is something you couldn't, you could say that. You could say horses ran down the hill, but there's something to have a whole story with feeling like you're on the back of a horse right so it's it's something you can put into these little intricacies that make it more human make it more you yeah 
Yeah, it's funny. I, I would have put myself in like this. I, would, I might have ignorantly put myself in this category of like Plato came before Aristotle, therefore Plato is wrong. You know, mm. uh, Aristotle came before Thomas Aquinas, but informed Thomas Aquinas, therefore like, well, you know where I'm going. Sure, but yeah. like <laughs> now that I like, honestly, my study of poetry has sort of helped me to recognize that like there are spiritual realities indicated mm. by the things we see in the world and like nature. Not to say that dualism is a thing, but you, if, uh, if someone with like a poetic spirit kind of like looks out on the destruction of Sennacherib or you mm. know, the charge of the light brigade, right. there is like a tragic beauty in everything that's going on. And like, you know, reality as it's played out in that moment with like, you know, man, uh, the men, the tension between men and the tensions between like good and evil and uh, the wills that men have, like all of that being played out, there's, it's clear there's more going on here than just like guys on horses running at each other. Like, and there's, sure, and yeah. it's those sort of, it, that's kind of like, it kind of hints at what beauty is, but it's also those, kind of the, that spiritual reality that I think poetry sort of reaches for. It's mm-hmm. like, there's a beauty in things and, if we just change our way of talking about things and our way of like our way of expressing things, we can almost get at it, you know, through mm. language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I was going to offer one of the things that entering seminary really showed to me is how different the Psalms are. Mm-hmm. That the Psalms are a type of poetry. It's not just oh, this is a book of the Bible and they're like little yeah reflections <laughs> or something, sure. but they're yeah. they're beautiful poetry. The psalm for morning prayer that talks about penance that uses that poetic vision of making me white as snow or um, raising up the bones that you have shattered. And and it's such a different image instead of just saying, hey, God, I I sinned and I'm sorry and, like, you're going to forgive me and make it better. But using that poetic vision and that imagery just makes it so much more visceral and and from the soul, from the heart. Mm -hmm. I think that the psalms have awakened my eyes to an appreciation of, of poetry in that sense as well. That's a good association. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like, mm. I would line for line what you what you said starting out there. Like, uh, coming to seminary has made me appreciate the Psalms like so right. much more. They're almost, if not my favorite way to pray, they're like one of my favorite. Uh, one of my friends said, like, just put it simply, like the Psalms are just very moving, and it's true for sure. Yeah, you brought up the point of simile or analogy, which our old friend Chesterton talks about actually in a non-poetic work called The Everlasting Man, which I'm re-listening to right now, where he talks about, uh, I think it's The Everlasting Man, where he talks about uh, the, the pa- basically the power of the simile. And like, you know, there are images in nature that like evoke the human spirit higher. Uh, so you, I can say like, God, you know, I'm sorry. And that's just a factually true statement, and right. I, I, mm-hmm. I hope God's merciful. That kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. God is merciful. Oh God, show show me mercy <laughs> in this moment. Right, <laughs> you know? right. But then to like express it in that way, sort of like helps you to connect with that factual reality, like emotionally. Mm. It unites your whole spirit to it, kind of. Yeah. So definitely, similes are. I I would argue that poetry like couldn't fully be poetry without similes for mm. sure. Oh sure. Okay. Yeah. That's like what we were talking about recently, uh, just in a conversation outside of the podcast. Mm. We've been discussing The the Last Battle by C.S. Nice. Lewis and Chronicles of Narnia and how 
poetic in its own right is the the end where the the battle cry is further up further in and i can't quote it verbatim and i know i'm going to get hate mail later from the faithful catholics who are listening mm-hmm. to this yeah you will but the, <laughs> the there's an idea of the further you go into narnia the in aslan's country mm-hmm. the the like the less likely you are to get to the center like you just go further in and further in and mm-hmm. you're not getting any closer to the center because the condition of being a, a follower of god is to always be going further and further into something so you're right go look, looking at nature you could say god i'm sorry but you could look at nature and go further in and then keep going and go further and further and further in and to say that ever more in the image and likeness of god yeah i think that's something poetry can let us do and, and all nature does that verily yeah yeah dr haggerty uh i don't know if you, have you guys had dr haggerty Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah. All the Dr. Haggerty fans out there rejoice. Um, <laughs> she basically like has, I think she posited, she didn't tell okay. us definitely, but she posited God will always be a mystery even when we get to heaven. Um, mm. So, which kind of indicates that it's like, how could a human being ever know God in his infinite fullness, you know, mm-hmm. um, which kind of gets at what you're saying. And there's the fact that, you know, Aslan is just God, you know. Right, yeah. Right, clearly, he, that's just Spoiler alert, right, yeah. Exactly, you know? Yeah, like, I feel like Narnia is like the Bible for, you know, kids or something. Kids, I read it. <laughs> for seminarians. Yeah. True. Lexio and Narnia. Lexio and Narnia. <laughs> um, um, so to get into some more specific details, do you have, other than Chesterton, any favorite poets, any favorite poems? No. No? no. Okay. I'm kidding. It's I'm Chesterton kidding. all the time, always. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Yes. No, I... Who are some of my favorite poets? Well, I really do like the Catholic literary revival, like mm-hmm. that whole kind of... So Chesterton is right in there. Also, guys like C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, you know, mm-hmm. I, I actually, for all that he's, you know, put in a kind of a box of total fantasy, like Tolkien's works are actually really beautiful, mm. just as poetry in their own right. Right. And, like, I love Lord of the Rings. Let me just get that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord of the Rings is a theological work. I, I I think so, yeah. Like, Tolkien is just the next St. Thomas. Those are mighty shoes to fill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On either side, actually. But right, um, yeah. I really like the poems of Robert Frost. So I guess poetry okay. that there is kind of that, you know, poetry kind of has a nature to it. You know, it's what we've sort of been talking about up to this point, um, where where you can sort of connect with a poetic spirit, you know, that goes across different peoples in all times. Um, uh, poetry, there's also a subjective side to poetry, you know, and that's kind of how each person responds and the kind of poetry that each person responds to. And I really like poetry that sort of evokes nature. Um, mm-hmm. So one of my favorite poems ever is Stopping by Woods in a Snowy Evening by Robert right. Frost. Uh, there are a few poems of kind of its sort of minimal size and, and length and stature that evoke so clearly the images he's trying to bring up um, of just like a dark, peaceful, snowy evening in dark woods. So that's an example of one I really like. I guess a deeper reason that I do like that poem is that it evokes... Um, like a deeper spiritual reality mm-hmm. beyond just the, the physical nature of what he's saying. So at the end, um, I don't know if you guys remember the poem, he's just sitting there looking at the, right. you know, sitting next to, I always imagine he's on this like little little road uh, and he, he's on this little horse cart with his horse and, you know, off to the, he's, he's heading toward the village, off to the right is this big snowy field um, and off to the, on the left of the road are the woods which just go deeper and darker in mm. 
and kind of down forward into the valley you can see the twinkling lights of the village and uh, right at the end he's just taking the, the beauty of this landscape in and he says the woods are lovely dark and deep but I have miles to go before I sleep I right. have miles to go before I sleep and he repeats it and the indication there is that uh, he's he's he has a life to live you know mm -hmm. and there's death to be met at the end and I didn't pick up on that till a friend pointed it out but it's so true like it's kind of a meditation on higher realities than mm -hmm. just snow and trees right. I think that's something that poetry can do no, that's awesome. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Taking it to a different direction almost, but something I want to highlight. Sure. All of the poets we've mentioned so far were all men. Right. And again, hate mail's coming. <laughs> it is. But yeah. I mean, like you're a seminarian, so <laughs> Right. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I in my experience have encountered a stigma where poetry seems feminine. But hmm. it's it's yeah. Sorry, I don't know. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay, but like yeah. when you think about poets, you think at least it comes to my mind is Chesterton, Tolkien, Lewis, Tennyson. Uh, did I ever say Tennyson? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kipling, Shakespeare, Homer. Like yeah. it's a masculine trait to mm -hmm. be poetic, to be able to express yourself, to be as as human, to be as clever, to be smart enough to mm -hmm. be able to draw on different experiences and to say a lot with a little to say a lot with a little is a masculine trait really mm. yeah well a couple things i i guess it to say a lot with a little yeah is a masculine trait and poetry is a masculine trait but you know before people start writing their hate mail <laughs> like it's not a it's not a trait that's specific to men sure so yeah, it's right. it's uh which i think is what you're saying also i think we're agreeing mm -hmm. um it's like a trait that's specific to the human spirit and um men do themselves or people do themselves a disservice when they cut certain people out of this, out of contributions to this part of the human spirit. Um, yeah, I feel like maybe there is a little bit of that stigma, but at the same time, let's, let's not kid ourselves. There have been great men who have been great poets. Mm -hmm, um, right. And without pulling ourselves the other way, because there are great women who have been great poets. And one of my favorite poems, going back to Nikolai's question, mm -hmm. is uh, this poem called Goblin Market, which has a really cool name. And That sounds awesome. Right. My <laughs> uh, Dr. Keats, you know, God bless him, my, mm -hmm. my poetry professor from uh, college, <clears throat> who has, by the way, since passed away, so God rest his soul. Mm -hmm. He just mentioned this poem offhand. Uh, and, you know, we're like talking about some kind of poetry or something. And he mentions Christina Rossetti, the poetess, poet, poetess, I don't know. Okay, authoress, sure. <laughs> authoress, <laughs> yeah, as the author of, I guess, one work, and then he mentions offhand, oh, and she also wrote Goblin Market, great poem, and hmm. immediately my mind was like, Goblin Market, that just sounds cool, like, regardless. <laughs> yeah, okay. So Obviously. I, like, wrote it in my notebook and looked it up later, and it is such a beautiful poem. Like, hmm. I, I have to write a poem about how beautiful that poem is. <laughs> like, it... It's long. It's like it takes thirty mm -hmm. minutes to read well, okay. um, but it tells a story uh, and and I don't, about basically about two girls and mm -hmm. the uh, the dangers of temptation and uh, the reality of true love and sacrifice. So mm -hmm. and it's like li it literally is one of my favorite poems, um, kind of for all the reasons mm -hmm. I said I like "Stopping by Woods" by Robert Frost. Great. Yeah, I I mean, writing poetry isn't the same as like climbing Mount Everest. Um, sure. <laughs> and it's not the same as, you know, doing a triathlon. But in a way, it is. 
what is it in men that makes them do those things? Well, it's, I would argue it's that it's that part of the human spirit that's striving for the ideal. It's striving for the peak of Everest, and it's mm. striving for like the finish line of a triathlon. Mm. Um, and I would say that like that is what poetry does. It, it helps for when it's written. It helps those who experience it and read mm -hmm. it later mm -hmm. to glimpse that peak um, that others have striven for. And if you're the one writing, then in a way, that's your human spirit also striving for that same ultimate reality. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to insert in there too, though, we can't talk about poetry without talking about Emily Dickinson. We can't. Um, <laughs> yeah. And she has a vastly different style than, I think most of the poets we've talked about, she has such a different style of her poetry, but it's still in its own way beautiful. She doesn't write these like long, lengthy sonnets or epics. Some of her poems are just maybe three short lines and snippets with like um, little breaks at the end. Mm -hmm. But they have their own way of expressing just a beautiful thought, a beautiful feeling, or even maybe a, a little bit of a longer, I forget the one about the frog. Uh, I am nobody, are you nobody too? Right. There's a pair of us. Yeah, that one? Yeah. Yeah. It's That's just yeah. such a, it's fun, but it evokes feelings in a different way than I think manly poems, which can also evoke feelings, but in a different sense than than Emily Dickinson does in just her short little tidbits. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And that just, that's, I guess, part of the genius of the nature of poetry. It's just, mm. you know, it has the ability when it's used well to like, to do that, to, you could look at frogs all day long and say, you know, there's, you know, you could do a philosophical meditation on the nature of loneliness mm. and, you know, community. <laughs> <laughs> or you could say like that. <laughs> you know it's like without saying it it gets you to to think it you know right that is beautiful mm. that poetry can do that so having considered all these poets great poets stood the test of time i think it's time to see how you yourself compare would you mind reading for us some of your your own poetry sure i would by which i mean no i would not mind um, <laughs> okay. so yes i will um, and remember um, to compare is to despair, so we're not judging you. Right, of course. Yeah. Don't worry. Right. Um, again, that's the audience. That's <laughs> like, like the same way I put myself in the category of like, I'm just a seminarian who likes Chesterton. Right. <laughs> you know? Now I'm putting myself in the category of like, yes, I recognize that I'm trying to be like the greats and I'm just categorically not. So <laughs> one of the greats. Anyway, yeah, let me pull up my iPhone. We're talking about all these like great works of history and, you know, before iPhones were. Yeah. <laughs> well, that reminds me of... um just side topic while you do that um emily dickinson would just scratch her poems on like little slips of paper and then stuff them in the desk somewhere so and just imagine her <laughs> being like oh yeah i have i have a poem and i yeah. want to like she just had to sc scramble through it. her desk yeah. and yeah 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 as i read my poem off my iphone um just just remember that william shakespeare would like watch would read a play or watch a play and like mm. have the entire thing memorized um, oh, I, I didn't know that. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so this this might be like just one small indication of how far our memories and attention spans have deteriorated <laughs> from the times of William Shakespeare. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. So I'm going to read a poem that I think is appropriate for, you know, actually just the time of year we're in. It was about a year ago that I wrote it or that I sort of conceived it uh, in my mind. And uh, it has to do kind of with autumn, with this, you know, this time of year and in nature, you know, back to nature. So that said, uh, here is one of my poems, and I call it Frozen Things. 
How pretty are these autumn nights, with whistling winds and twinkling lights, and speckled wind-tossed leaves in flight, all making me remember how on a bitter night like this I sat in peaceful, silent bliss, with only the fire's merry hiss, red with burning ember, and mused in thoughtful wanderings how wonderful this world, which brings a wintry warmth in frozen things, and joy in cold November of ruddy glows and frozen toes and frosted farmland and snows and firelight and warm windows recalling to each member of hamlet far and household near where loved ones dwell with loved ones dear the love of him who comes each year at christmas in december there you go that's awesome thank you yeah it made me like feel temperature you know, reading that, like that's, oh, that was a really awesome. good use of different phrases and just setting the scene, the atmosphere that really mm-hmm. like put it into, put it into your mind. Well, yeah. Sure. Thank you. And to your point, I think that would have lost this little bit of alliteration that we would have lost had you not read it aloud. If we just text it to us. Interesting. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> true. Actually, there is true. There's something about poetry that you like need to hear it said. Um, you need to say it and you need to hear it said. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know why or how cold things being warm because we Mm. we go into winter months and we're like oh it's cold uh but there's so much warmth of like human feeling that goes Mm. in winter months also you don't want to lose so Mm -hmm. on that note thank you very much you're welcome i think thank you for having we're just about out of time sweet we'll have to have you on another time and maybe another poem sure absolutely just uh feel free to ask i'll be uh locked up in my my poem room with my, <laughs> my thinking cap on. No, I'm kidding. All right. All righty, guys. Well, thanks so much. Sure. Farewell. To our listeners, remember, wherever the Catholic sun doth shine, there's always laughter and good red wine. <laughs> At least I've always found it so. Benedictimus Domino. Mm-hmm.